Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And if you're a first timer, we welcome you to the show. Robert along with Stephen Kerr. And when we last left you, it looked like Lamar Miller was done for the season. Unfortunately, that was confirmed. We'll look more into that in our Texans conversation. We'll follow up a little bit from the postgame show that we did this weekend a little bit later in the podcast. But Stephen, the Astros... They got back on track, and they're back to neck and neck with the Yankees for the best record in the American League now. Well, that's right, Robert. And they've been able to hide some of the, you know, the injuries and inconsistencies they've had for the most part uh, following that uh, losing streak earlier this month. Now, it's helped that they face some weaker teams like the Tigers and the Angels. But even during those series, they've had these stretches where the offense kind of gets into a little rut. They don't produce, particularly against some of the starting pitchers. Uh, like Sunday, for instance, they did virtually nothing against Angels starter Jaime Berea, uh, but they sure got to the Angels bullpen with a seven-run inning in the eighth. So, yeah, they're they're neck and neck with the Yankees. I mean, the Yankees are setting records, hitting home runs, but uh, that pitching, you know, that's really what it's going to get to, I think, when we get in the postseason. So it should be an interesting race down the stretch of who's going to get home field advantage in the American League. If there's anything I'm a little bit anxious about with the Astros, it's been a pattern this year. You kind of said it. They beat up on the pores. They beat up on the bad pitchers. They beat up on the bad teams. But what are they going to do against the best teams and the best pitchers? I mean, that's something that's been a problem all season long. And and that's what you worry about, not just with the hitting, but with the pitching and the bullpen when it's a problem uh, against, you know, teams like we saw against Baltimore or the Chicago White Sox or, you know, and you're like, well, even the pores are giving the bullpen some problems. But that's my concern, Stephen, more than anything, is what this team does against the best competition. And, and that's the key, I think, to, you know, how far they're going to go in the playoffs. Well, a case in point, too, take someone like Framber Valdez. I mean, he only gave up two hits, but he walked five batters on Sunday and he got into some trouble. Now, he was able to work his way out of it. Of course, he needed, what, three, four visits from uh, Bernstrom and a few of the other infielders to kind of calm him down. And that's the thing is that, you know, you you certainly wouldn't want someone like Framer Valdez against a great team like the Yankees or the Twins or the Indians or any one of the elite teams, especially in the first inning or two when it, it just seems like his nerves get the best of him. He was able to get out of trouble against the Angels, but he certainly won't do that against a better team. And in the Oakland series, here, here's a number for you, Robert. They left 31 runners on base, which was a 167 average with runners in scoring, uh, scoring position. You certainly can't do that in the postseason either. I'm kind of worried about American League Zach Greinke versus National League Zach Greinke. I mean, he's had a couple of decent starts, but he's not dominating or anything like that. No, he's not. But, you know, Zach Greinke is not he's not an overpowering pitcher. I mean, he relies on his finesse and when that finesse is working, he'll get batters out. But if it doesn't, you know, and you get him in a playoff game, uh, you know, it, it remains to be seen. But the good news is that Michael Brantley continues to be Mr. Consistency. Alex Bregman seems to be smarter about the pitches he's swinging at lately. And uh, he's hitting better and getting on base. And Jose Altuve is, well, Jose Altuve. And uh, even Josh Reddick, maybe he's finally coming out of his slump. He had a couple of hits on Sunday. So uh, what a boost that would be if uh, he could start hitting again. So the offense does 
have a way of drowning out some of the weaknesses, whether it be in the pitching or in some cases uh, the hitting, especially the clutch hitting. Notice that Josh Reddick's looked a little bit better this past weekend, and I heard in an interview him say he's been talking to Michael Brantley and and following Michael Brantley around, which is what you should have been doing at the beginning of the year, Josh. (laughs) Well, I guess he kind of did. He did hit well at the beginning of the year, but I think a lot of that is what he did during the offseason. But, you know, that's just it, is if you want to be a better hitter, who do you hang out with or who should you hang out with? You hang out with the best hitters. If you want to be an elite pitcher, you hang out with the guys like Justin Verlander or go up to the front office and hang out with Nolan Ryan. You know, if you want to be the best, you have to learn from the best. And that's what I think, you know, Reddick or even somebody like Alex Bregman, who, you know, has been kind of up and down as far as clutch this season. That's what you need to do if you want to be an elite player. You got to hang out with the elite guys. The good thing about Bregman is even when he was not hitting well in the clutch, he's consistently gets on base. He he does stuff to help the team. And, you know, he's been there. He's rang the bell every time. And with all the injuries this year, the Astros appreciate that. You know, they're 23-2 and now at home, Stephen, against the American League West this year. That's the way you win divisions. The best home record by a team against its own division. Get this, since divisional play began in 19 69. Well, you can say what you want about how weak the AL West is, but that's still impressive. And, you know, that's the thing. You've got to beat the teams that you need to beat in order to set yourself up to beat the good teams. And I think it's good even when teams like the Tigers or uh, the Orioles, when they beat the Astros in that one game in the series recently, I, I think it's good when the Astros are pushed, whether it's against a bad team or a good team. Because I think that's also what gets you playoff ready. The AL West has actually been one of the better divisions in baseball this year, surprisingly. It's it's been better than certainly in previous years, uh, definitely. But, you know, it's still, I mean, it's not shaping up like, say, the NL East, for instance. That's turning into a pretty pretty good race uh, with the Cardinals getting hot and the Cubs. I'm sorry, the NL Central. uh, But the NL East with the, the Nationals playing better and the Braves, so... Yeah, there's some interesting races coming down the stretch. There'll be, uh, be, we'll have to wait and see what happens. Yeah, but don't be fooled by the races being a little bit closer. I'm talking about overall record of the division. And that, that, that gets skewed that it's not a good division just because the Astros are killing people and, and the other teams can't quite keep up. But the, the other teams all year long have kind of been bunched up and, and they're, they're in a bunch that you know would be competitive in a lot of div- other divisions, especially in the National League. Well, certainly, and that's why I'm saying it, no matter what division you're in, that's still impressive. 23-2 and two is 23-2, and two, and the Astros are definitely taking care of business where they should. All right, a couple of interesting notes from Jeff Luno Sunday. I was hearing him on the radio, and he said, first of all, Aaron Sanchez, done for the year as a starter, says that uh, he won't be able to ramp him up to being a starter after, after the injury. So it looks like Either Framber Valdez gets those starts, who, as you mentioned, a tremendous start Saturday night, despite you know a little bit of struggles, but he got it together enough to get out of the jams. Rogelio Armenteras, he said, would would be in that equation. Rogelio. He also said uh, Jose Urquidy is going to be shut down for the season pretty soon because he's reached his innings limit. But he also said they think Urquidy will be battling for a four or five spot in the rotation next year. So that's interesting. They see him as a starter uh, long-term. Last bit of info, 
that is probably the most interesting of all this is they've toyed with Josh James pitching motion and the minors making it shorter, more compact to improve his control. And he also said that down the road, they still believe James will be a starter, but that should be a big help really Stephen, this year, if he can get that control a little bit tighter and that motion down, because his motion does seem like there's a lot of moving parts in it. Well, that's right. And his stuff is so electric. The biggest problem for him is his control. And if he can get that down, he certainly can be a really effective pitcher, especially as a starter. Now, he made the team out of the bullpen, and that's that's where the Astros needed him at the time. But I still think they are looking at him long-term as a starter. He obviously needed to develop the stamina. And, you know, you can't throw just, you know, rare back and throw as a starter the way you can as a reliever with the kind of power pitching he has. So he's going to have to develop his stamina. But I, I think Josh James could be an effective starter if he's put in the right position and allowed the time to do it. And and I certainly hope that he can get up and running for the postseason, even this year. He's pitched a couple of starts in Round Rock. Hasn't looked you know, particularly overwhelming. He kind of a, blew a great performance by another pitcher that we're going to start hearing more about, and that's Christian Javier on Sunday. Uh, Javier pitched six innings and uh, pitched really, really well. Didn't give up any runs, but the Round Rock bullpen kind of blew – that great performance and Josh James is one of those, but we certainly, we need to see him healthy by the end of the season and into the postseason if possible. Yeah. Luno said he's not going to move anybody off the 40 man to bring up Javier this year, but yeah, that's somebody no, definitely, no, no. you know, he's looking at down the road. Uh, your thoughts on the players weekend, a lot of conversation on social media about that. You know, I kind of thought it was a neat idea. I mean, yeah, that the uniforms may have been the dull, you know, black or white color, but I, I at least am glad that baseball is is starting to realize that they need to market to the younger generation, the the, the millennials or the, the younger crowd. And I kind of thought the nicknames thing was was a pretty cool deal. Now some of the players didn't have a lot of imagination. You know what was uh, Chris Davinsky? You know he had Devo, which we we already know about, and you know some of the others. Uh, I think my favorite was Big Fudge. I believe it was uh, Jake Marisnik. He, he had Big Fudge as his nickname. Uh, I think the most touching one was Will Harris, uh, Clutch Cam. He was actually named after uh, a kid named Cameron who was battling cancer. So that was kind of neat. But overall, I, I, I'm at least glad to see that baseball is trying to do something to uh, get themselves out and market themselves maybe a little bit differently. The nicknames are fine. I'm fine with the nicknames, and, and I'll, I'm going to circle back to the nicknames in a second, but... Boy, these uniforms. Uh, I mean, it's not only that I didn't like the uniforms, but you got to, once you don't like a, a uniform and then you got to put up with the uniform all weekend for three days. And the other part about it is just, I don't like every single team having the same unis. It's everybody's got all black or all white. I, I don't think the players were a big fan. Even Clayton Kershaw with the Dodgers was kind of critical of it. And, uh, it, it, I don't know. It just, it, it, they looked weird. They looked like they were reject from some sort of 70s sci-fi film or sci-fi television show or something like that. And uh, just nothing in particular. You couldn't see, you know, there's the issues with the names. You couldn't see the names on the back of the jerseys. I, I've dealt with that shooting high school teams where they do like, they try this white on white stuff. It, it's just, it's terrible for the fans. You're trying to see, and, and you want them to see what, what's on the back of the uniform because 
you got everybody all excited about the you know the, the nicknames and everything like that. But I was going to ask you this: uh, What would be your nickname? What's uh, Steven's nickname if you were doing Players Weekend? Oh goodness! Well, you know, back in the days when I played baseball, yeah, like as low a level as you can get, I had a couple of nicknames. One of them was for my base running ability. They called me Cannonball because I would just just fly through the bases. Uh, the other, my favorite though, was Mister Defense because I was a pretty good fielder. So I think Mister Defense would be what would be on the back of my jersey. Mister Defense, uh, I like that maybe a little bit more than Mister Irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Irrelevant. Yeah, I I think that was maybe even if it was tongue in cheek. Yeah, Mr. Defense sounds a whole lot better to me. Yeah, the Mr. Irrelevant. Reddick's trying to lean on that. Like, it it doesn't sound quite as good. It's not rolling off the tongue quite as well when he's been sort of Mr. Irrelevant in the lineup for the last two months. Like, uh, that that that's not good. But I, I think it's more tongue in cheek if you're if you're hitting well, Josh, and then you can kind of make fun of that. But yeah, well, it's better than woo because woo we already know about. Let's come up with something different, right? Yeah, or the, the Nature Boy. You know, that's what I was kind of expecting from him. But what about you, Robert? What would be yours? I, I had a nickname in college. Uh, Sweet Bobby was. I left college. Everybody that I went to journalism school by the, by the time it was over with knew me as that. And I, and I wish there, were, there could be a better story behind it. And maybe this is a good story and uh, you like it better than, than I think it is. But I w- walked into the TV station one day and the guy that was the uh, sports director, we, in the journalism school at the university of Missouri, you work at the NBC affiliate and we have a sports director. That's uh, he actually had gone to the university of Missouri, but he was, you have a sports director that's paid full time to be the main guy. And he sort of is the person that looks after all of us and, and, and tells us where to go and what to do. And he's in charge of everything. And I walked in one day and he was on his computer typing and he looked over at me and just all of a sudden he, his eyes lit up and he said, sweet Bobby land, sweet huh. Bobby land, sweet huh. Bobby land. You know, he just kept saying it over with more inflection and, getting all excited and his big smile on his face. And, and just at that moment, he had just decided that's, that's what you're going to be is <laughs> from then on out. And everybody picked, I don't know how he got everybody, everybody picked up on it. And so it became, you know, either, either I was sweet Bobby or some of them called me sweet for short, but I'll take it, you know, I'll take that one. Hey, I, I think if you put the whole name together, Sweet Bobby Land, that, that actually sounds like a band. Maybe you could start a band and just call it Sweet Bobby Land. Maybe a, I don't know, a blues or jazz band or something. But no, I like that. If you put the whole name together, I think it sounds pretty cool. It's incorporated in, in, in parts of my life now. Let's just say that uh, some areas. <laughs> but it was cool because I just, you know, I consider myself a pretty good guy. So Sweet worked for me. So that was, and I wish I could there play an instrument. You know, that'd be great to, if I if, if I could st- <laughs> if I could start a band, that'd be fantastic. If I just I just don't I don't have any uh, abilities like singing or instruments or anything like that. But yeah, if you had some musical talent, it might help. But uh, at least the name sounds great, right? Yeah, I, you know, we we've been talking a lot of good stuff with the Astros. Most of it's been good, but got to hit on a couple of not so positive Astros stories, Stephen, that came out this week. The first one. Is this Detroit Free Press reported that the Astros wouldn't allow into Verlander's press conference Wednesday? Uh, just some beef that Verlander had with him. Now, I, I could care less about Verlander on this because this really, it, it's not about him. But what the Astros did was against MLB rules. It had a bad look for the organization. And I mean, with all the good stuff the Astros organization has accomplished under Crane and Luno, Stephen, 
they've had some ugly, ugly missteps, you know, just stuff that really kind of frustrates you. Yeah. And in this situation, I, I think they aired. Uh, they, you know, if Justin Verlander didn't want to talk to him, he certainly didn't have to. But to bar a reporter from the clubhouse, I mean, it'd be one thing if he had, say, you know, threatened bodily harm or, or something of that nature. I, I certainly don't think that was the case. It was more of a, a beef that Justin Verlander had with him. But yeah, the Astros definitely should have handled it a lot differently. And listen, Robert, you and I have been in the media business for many, many years, and, and we've seen some pretty stupid stuff that some reporters have done, some silly questions they may ask or things like that. But but honestly, there's just no reason that the Astros should have handled this the way they did. And now they have egg on their face because of it and, you know, of having to kind of backtrack a bit. And this is something that's that's not new, really. You know, Evan Drellick, the Astros beat writer from 2013 to 2016, brought up a few bad looks the Astros have had with the press, including him. You know, as fans of the podcast know, Evan, uh, uh, you know, a freaking, frequent guest with us. And I've just got a great deal of respect for him as a journalist. And Evan said that when uh, he was working with the Chronicle, Jim Crane and a member of the PR department met with his bosses at the Chronicle, tried to get him fired for writing critical things about the Astros. Uh, Evan also pointed out that in 2016, they began barring coaches from talking on record to the media without PR club permission, which doesn't happen with many other teams, if any, according to Evan. And Evan, you know, has covered uh, teams. uh, He's covered the Red Sox and, you know, he's been around baseball with all of this stuff. He's been in the business for a little bit now. And he also said that uh, they banned a reporter from the home clubhouse last year. I'm not aware of who or what the details of that, you know, is, but it's about a pattern of, of bully behavior. And they're always looking like an organization trying to cover things up you know it's it's about the cover-up sometimes with the Astros a little bit too much you know we remember last year that the the whole deal with uh you know that they they were putting people in the ballpark and recording stuff and you know they were like well we were doing it for this and not for that and blah 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 it it still looked kind of shady right yeah and you know as much of a feel-good story as the Astros have been and you certainly can't take away their accomplishments that the things, you know, things start trickling out eventually of some of the, the questionable things they do. And they're not certainly they're not the first team to pull stunts like this. I mean, you know, rifts between the media and uh, players and teams have been going on for decades. But it's just a shame to see that uh, even with the Astros, a team that, uh, you know, was so down for for several years and came back, won their World Series, a feel good story that stuff like this has has started coming out over the last few months and even the last few weeks with the Justin Verlander thing. But it really is just so unnecessary. I mean, there's there's a different way to handle, a more mature way to handle that sort of thing. And it's sad that a lot of this has come out that the Astros probably didn't handle a lot of these situations very well. There's fans out there that are wondering, like, why should I care? I'm an Astros fan. They do all right. You know, why do I care about the media? But you don't want the media not to, you want people to be able to ask them questions. You want them to have the ability to get in there and, and get information and, and cover the team. And you you don't want this to be uh, just a big PR machine for the Astros. I mean, you know, the Chronicle just by covering them helps them, you know, it, it's, it's something that you, people can read every day and they, they trust you know, the, the local newspaper. And I, I think rightly so. I know so many of the people that, that work over there, you know, good people, good journalists 
So, Stephen, it's a, it's important. You know, this is important. And as an American, we we believe in journalism. That's what we believe as Americans. Well, that's right. The, the right to freedom of speech, freedom of the press. And I think what gets lost in the shuffle on the daily routine of a team and uh, media people is that uh, without the media, how would the fans know what's going on with the team? Uh, you know, whether it's, uh, it's there are a lot of things behind the scenes that the team certainly doesn't don't want the fans to know. And we probably shouldn't know. But without the media, what kind of publicity is the team going to have? They need each other, basically, to get their jobs done and to do it effectively. And I think that often gets lost when we start talking about denying media access and things like that. And, you know, the Texans have even started clamping down on their media access over the last few years. Right. I, I, I just think it's it's a bad it's a bad move uh, and, and it's going to catch up. And, you know, you might think, well, we can get it through through uh, our players and their Instagram and their Twitter and, uh, and all that stuff. But that's not what you want. You don't want, you don't want players being the conduit either because bad things can happen there too. You know, just saying we we've seen it. Uh, so, so you gotta be careful what you, you wish for if you're a, a team and you know, it's just, I, I just think they're underestimating the, the, you know, the, the type of stuff that the journalists bring and you know, the, it, it, just what kind of publicity and, and how that helps them out. Um, one other story uh, from the Astros, this not looking as bad on the Astros, but looking bad on a particular guy, kind of a crazy story from uh, the folks on Astros County, the website on what happened to Astros prospects, Ramin Goudouan, who we didn't particularly want to see him again anyway. And Dean Dietz. Have you yeah, heard about I this saw one? That. Yeah, I did see that where, you know, Dean Dietz is kind of a clown and, he was poking fun at Ramin Goudouin. Of course, he was, uh, you know, he was taking a predator sensitive thing with a pitcher of uh, making fun of him for not throwing strikes. And I believe the the first incident occurred when Goudouin threw a shoe at him, and Dietz kind of laughed it off. But then Goudouin comes back later with a baseball bat and takes a baseball bat to Dean Dietz's head and actually hits him in the head with a bat. I don't know how he was like if he was seriously injured, but he did get hit. And apparently that's what led to the suspension indefinitely for Ramin Goudouin. But, man, crazy stuff. I mean, here's a guy who's trying to make the big leagues. And he had his shot, and I'm sure he's frustrated that things didn't go well for him this year. But, my goodness, you know, you can't take a joke to go after somebody with a with a baseball bat. And not only that, I think later it was reported that he was standing in his locker with a knife. He didn't try to use it on Dietz, but he was glaring at him and had a knife in his hand. I mean, the, the guy obviously needs help and has some anger issues, and I hope he gets that straightened out before he does hurt somebody. Yeah, what Dietz did was kind of funny because, you know, he goes, uh, he's kind of a character. You have to know Dietz, but he right. was giving him the business about not being able to throw a strike, and the Astros fans know about Goodwin and his ability to throw strikes, and Goudouin responds, throws a shoe at Dietz, missed him badly, apparently, and Dietz responded, see? Yeah, see what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. He, he may have egged him on a little too much, but that certainly does not justify what he did. It's a minor league baseball annex. I mean, come on. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and you know what? This, is, this would be assault. You know, with a baseball bat, they could have charged him. Dietz could have charged him. Yeah, they could have. They, they didn't call the police. Believe it or not, they didn't. Uh, he got away with that, but yeah, that's that. That's just it, it's sad that 
someone has that kind of mental it, it obviously is a mental issue going on or anger management that needs to get under control or something right and and uh i got a funny story too from the baseball weekend and i don't know if you caught this one but at, at petco park in san diego one of the more i think one of the more beautiful moments in the 2019 season occurred any idea what i'm talking about I don't think I saw that, but refresh my maybe if you refresh my memory, I'll see it. Okay, well, during the seventh inning stretch with with the Red Sox in town, so Boston's in town. Uh, you know what the seventh inning stretch means in, at Fenway in Boston? Well, the Petco Park PA starts playing "Sweet Caroline," so oh, you see right. Red Sox fans; they're all singing along and to it on the jumbotron. Then, about twenty seconds into the song, they got rickrolled. Oops. Oh, yeah, I did hear that. I, I think I saw a headline about it and didn't follow up on it. Yeah, no sweet Caroline. <laughs> yeah, if people don't know, I think everybody knows now that Rick Roll is the, the Rick Ashley, Rick Ashley uh, classic, uh, yeah. Never Gonna Give You Up, and it was it was. Never gonna give I used to play that song all the time. I know that one for sure. Uh, Texans, uh, before I get started with the, the Texans and, and kind of on the field and stuff like that. Just a, a quick uh, mistake from the Texans post game show. I was talking about how the Colts were set up well because in the future, because of uh, Ryan Grigson. Well, obviously that's not the GM I met. My mouth kind of got ahead of my brain. I met Chris Ballard. Of course, though, Steven Grigson is the reason why luck had to retire early. He, he didn't protect luck in those early years. And that's why Texans fans maybe should be in a panic. We talked about, I think we talked about a little bit, but you know, it's this is a deal. You, you you need to be a little bit under a panic that they're they're not taking care of Deshaun, and you know it's just that that's something that uh, I think it's it's a lesson for every team, and it seems like we just went through this whole thing just a decade and a half ago with Derek Carr. Well, and I think it just goes back to what or David some Carr, of the great coaches say. have said. David Carr, right? Some of the great coaches have talked about you know the foundation of your football team. In order to build on that foundation, it's got to start with the offensive line. And when it starts with the offensive line, it's got to start with the left tackle. And it just seems like the, the Texans are, are playing chess with probably the, one of the, the most important positions on the whole team, and that's the left tackle. Um, but, Robert, at least your faux pas wasn't as bad as uh, Houston radio personality Rick Kamla, who uh, tweeted – just, I don't know. I, I I couldn't believe it when I saw it the other night about Andrew Luck and his retirement. Just you know, talking about the fact that he had a, it was tough on him mentally. Are you kidding? He just, just really downplaying it. And he, he did apologize for well, it. He called but, him a quitter. Yeah. He called, yeah, he him, a called him a quitter. Essentially that, called him a quitter. In the end, that's what happened. And, you know, I, here's the way I look at it. He, he, he apologized, but look, there's two things. Either you're stupid Either you meant it, or or you were trolling for 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 listeners. Which you know, none of those are good. None of them are good. I I don't know if he's stupid, but I I would say the other two probably a little of both. You know, he's new in town, probably trying to feel things out, maybe grab some attention. But I I just don't understand this whole quitting thing. And he's not the only one who's called Andrew Luck a quitter. A lot of fans have done that. They booed him at the preseason game. Look, this guy has been through the ringer. You know what? I, I don't even understand a lot of the indie fans who want some of the, their season tickets back because he's retiring. Come on now. Are, are you saying you're going to throw in the towel for the whole season because Andrew Luck, who honestly has been injured more than he's been out there the last few years, 
And you can't blame the guy for all the rehab he's gone through and the mental toll it's taken on him. Look, he's made his money. He's got the right to, to stop playing or quitting or whatever term you want to put to it if that's what he wants to do. Yeah, I, I don't even want to talk about it anymore because I just I don't think the people that are saying that type of stuff and the, the fans that are doing that are worth the time of day. I mean, I just to me, this is just like no brainer, especially now that we know about CTEs and, you know, I, he got some concussions over the years, probably more than he's ever said, you know, that they know about. Let's put it that way, that they know about uh, with all the hits that he took and. Luck uh, wasn't afraid to take hits because he's a big guy, he, you know, six foot That's four, right. and he he's got some weight to him, and and he could take hits. It looked like, but I mean, you, you're getting hits uh, from NFL players. That's not that's not good, even if you are big, and even if you think you can take it. And Cam Newton and Ben Roethlisberger, they do the same thing, and you play with fire now with with CTE, and just as a quarterback in general, it's just better you know, to th- get the, throw the ball, get rid of it and live the fight another day. And that's why we just harp on that nonstop with Deshaun. And, you know, I, I'll, uh, I'll move over to some, maybe some good news, Stephen, <laughs> on the Texans, because there actually was some good news. Kiki QT, Matt Khalil, Greg Mance, Titus Howard, they're all back at practice Monday. So that's good. Unfortunately, third round pick, uh, Kahele wearing still at concussion protocol. But if you, if you take anything from the last couple of days, and I'm going to spin this. I'm going to try to spin this positive. You take anything from this clowny standoff, it's that they didn't deal him last week. And that might be good. You know, what do I mean? So maybe they can look at a deal for him now uh, as, hey, we can bonus into that deal a running back. So if you're you're trying to trade, you get a tackle. Maybe you can ask for, you know, a team that's got some excess at running back. And why does that matter? This is why it matters, Stephen, because they are really, really low on the waiver wire. So these guys that are cut that you might, yo, I could pick this guy up anyway. He's going to get cut. Well, there's like 20 some odd, 20 something, some odd teams ahead of him. So, you know, if they dealt him last week, maybe they're not looking to get a running back thrown into the deal. Um, But they, they got to get one because Lamar Miller is done. Yeah, and I I have to think that uh, even with the battle going on, you've got Karad Higdon, you've got Demaria Crockett, Josh Ferguson, and these guys. I, I just think the Texans are going to pick up someone outside the organization to compliment Duke Johnson. And as I said on the, the uh, Texans postgame show that we did the other night, Robert, how big does that Duke Johnson trade look now? I mean, think about it. If If they didn't have Duke Johnson, they would almost have to go out and trade for a running back now. And be in a worse position. Well, there was something that I saw on usatoday.com on Monday from Jarrett Bell. He believes that holdout running back Melvin Gordon of the Chargers could be a good fit in Houston. What what would you say about something like that? Just the price. I don't think the price works unless the unless maybe maybe they would want to deal Clowney, but I, I to me and I can't get into the Texans head, but to me I'm trying to get a tackle. That's 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 A, B, and C, my concern. Now, you, you go to the Philadelphia Eagles. They seem to be interested from all reports in Clowney. They not only have some offensive linemen that they might be able to give up, like I say some, but one maybe. And then they also, and we talked about that, but they also have some excess at running back because there's the th- thought that Corey Clement who everybody remembers had a really good Super Bowl a couple of years ago. 
he might be on the outs with the depth that they've got. So that's a guy that you could get thrown into the deal. You know, I don't know if you're going to get like one of their frontline offensive linemen, but if you have scouted it enough and you say, okay, one of the guys that they've got on the bench or one of the, one of the guys that maybe they don't think is quite as much of or, or as important, but you think you can turn into a left tackle, for, for example, you get that person and then you have Corey Clement. And I mean, because you're not asking for a top of the line guy, then you could also get them to throw in a second or third round pick or something like that. And that's the type of deal. If, I, if I'm the Texans, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to, maybe if I can fill a couple of holes and get a pick, I mean, that, that, that would be the ideal move. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I, I still think that the biggest objective right now for the Texans is you've got to get a left tackle. Because, look, you look at the Gordon situation. I mean, he's in the same deal as Jadevian Clowney. If the Texans aren't willing to sign Clowney long-term for the money he wants in a defensive position, why would they do a same the same for a running back who already turned down a $10 million a year offer from the Chargers especially when they already traded for Duke Johnson. I mean, Duke Johnson is now your Lamar Miller. And short of him getting hurt, he's certainly going to be the featured back. But I still think they'll likely sign someone who's been in another team's camp that gets cut this weekend. Or if they do make a trade for Clowney and they can throw in a, you know, at least a decent featured back in the deal along with a left tackle, let's do that. But I certainly don't think that it changes the urgency of getting an offensive lineman just because Lamar Miller is injured. And I like Crockett and I like Higdon. I I don't think those guys are necessarily poor, but what your concern is, and and this is going back to Deshaun over and over and over again, Duke Johnson can handle the blocking abilities. And and I like him as a blocker for Deshaun from, from what I know about Duke Johnson. Same with Lamar Miller. He was okay. He wasn't great pass blocker, but he was decent and you could trust him because he was a veteran. He knew, you know, how to pick guys up on blitzes and maybe where where the blitz or the pressure might come from. But the young guys, you just assume that's going to be a learning curve. And, you know, maybe you can keep one of Crockett and Higdon, but I'm guessing they're going to pick one, try to sneak the other one on the practice squad. And so you need that other veteran. And I'm just not relying on a, a, somebody like a Taiwan Jones who's barely he's 30 what is he 30 31 he's barely carried at all over the course of his career he's not considered anything special as a running back and you need somebody that can run the ball and pass block for you with Deshaun and I mean it's you know I don't have to tell anybody that's listening like hey you know that's that's the biggest thing pass block for Deshaun we need somebody to pass block for him anybody and everybody who can pass block for Deshaun get on board. And yeah, I, I mean, I like those guys too, but I, I don't think you would want them as the second featured back what Duke Johnson would have been if Lamar Miller had stayed healthy. I, I just think that you've got to have that veteran presence or, or even somebody that can at least do an average job of backing up Duke Johnson. And then you certainly have to pray that Duke Johnson stays healthy. Now, aside from the hamstring injury that he had during Brown's camp, He's been durable the last four seasons. He's played every game. Now, running backs, you know, they do get old pretty quick. So you just hope this isn't the season where that starts happening. But for now, Duke Johnson is your main guy. And then you just need someone to compliment him that has some experience and that can block as well. You got any other Texan stuff? Because I've got a couple of Rockets notes that are interesting. 
Well, if you were holding your breath wondering if Deontay Foreman might come back to haunt the Texans after being picked up by the Colts, ah, you can let out that breath before your face turns blue because the Colts did wave the former Texans running back after he sustained yet another injury as a biceps injury and they agreed to a, an injury settlement. And, you know, as much as everybody picked on Deontay Foreman and said he didn't have a work ethic, again, like Lamar Miller or, just, or anybody, you just you hate to see injuries just wipe out yet another season for Deontay Foreman. But he certainly is not going to be haunting the Texans anytime soon. I was talking with uh, some coaches with the Texas City program and Deontay Texas City product, and I asked them, I said, was Deontay a hard worker out there, you know, when he was in high school? And they're like, yeah, no, it, it was not a question. And I think a lot of that has been questioned with him in the NFL. I don't know if there's legitimacy to that. You kind of feel that way from the stuff that you've heard from Bill O'Brien. But yeah, that's that's what I heard from the Texas City coaches out there. So just to keep that in mind with uh, Deontay Foreman and, and uh, what happened to him here, I, I think it just had a lot more to do with the, the injuries and the injury bug. But, you know, maybe maybe it did. Maybe maybe his work ethic dropped off or something like that. You would you would think not. Maybe he just didn't love football as much as he did when he was in high school. You know, who, who knows? But uh just something to keep in mind. Uh, rocket stuff. We get. We do have a couple of Rockets things. Uh, feel good, first of all. Feel good story. James Harden continues to add to his, in general, feel good offseason. Of course, he was walking around giving cash away, giving money in the Bahamas to help poor people just a couple of weeks ago. This weekend, he and Mayor Sylvester Turner announced that Harden was giving a quarter of a million dollars to help renovate basketball courts in poorer communities. And you just kind of wonder, Stephen, if somebody hasn't finally gotten James Harden's ear and said, Hey, you, you could help your rep a little bit. If, if you did a little bit more and maybe you were a little bit more vocal about it. I don't know. I mean, James could be doing a ton of stuff that we're, we're not hearing about. And I would imagine that he is. I remember he gave a million dollars to uh, the Harvey funds uh, right after the hurricane hit a couple of years ago. But uh, James, you know, I, I think this is good for his, you know, it's as good for his whole, you know, the whole, what do you call it, persona or, you know, product, the James Harden product to, to do this type of stuff. Well, I just, and this is the sort of stuff that I wish the national media and fans would see about James Harden. Because, you know, whatever the reasons about his game or his step back move or whatever, that he just has this perception that people just don't like. I don't I don't know that they don't like the guy personally, but they just don't like the way he plays the game. But you've got to put it all together. You do the good stuff off the court. You you play your heart out on the court, whether he hogs the ball or not or what have you. You know, we could think of a lot worse people in any sport than James Harden and some of the things he does or doesn't do. So I think it's just an, another feather in his cap in a way that he's trying to help the community that he's come to know and love. Even at his camp, you know, the there's talk that he's been a little bit more – the camps that he has over the summer, he's been a little bit more friendly with the kids. And I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I'm not out there. So that's that, that I don't know about, but you know, we, we didn't talk about this last week, Stephen, but we, we finally had a look at Harden's new move that he referenced a couple of months ago, right after the season ended. I saw the video up on Instagram. It's a one legged fall away three. If anybody missed that. <laughs> All right. Well, Whatever works. Hey, if it brings the Rockets a championship, then bring it on, James. Whatever works. 
if he can come up with two different moves that change basketball or that are are game changers as far as the NBA is concerned in the course of his career, I I don't know. I can't think of any other NBA player with with two moves. I mean, you got you know Kareem just had the sky hook or. You know, uh, Dirk had the uh, he had his own little one legged, but that his little and then one the dream shake. He had his shake. And yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Came the dream had the shake. And, you know, you, you, we know about this guy with that move or that guy. But that, if he could incorporate two separate moves, that's, that's pretty impressive. Well, don't you know, though, his detractors would find some reason to deny him another MVP or the Hall of Fame, you know, because that move isn't part of basketball. Who knows? But, hey, just uh, if he's trying to improve his game and therefore improve the team, then I'm all for it. So we'll just we'll just have to see if he uh, uses it on the court next year. Do you know who the Roughnecks are? The Roughnecks? Well, I, I went to school with a bunch of them, but uh, if you're talking about the Houston Roughnecks, that is the name of the XFL Houston franchise. They dropped their new logo, and Stephen, I got to say, I like it. It's, it's Houston Oilers inspired. It's got that Oiler Derrick in there. That's right, and and their uh, their video was was pretty impressive too. Um, although, didn't the Dallas team get the Oiler kind of some of the Oiler colors, the the, the blue Columbia blue? I, I thought I saw Columbia blue. Didn't didn't the Dallas? Uh, I think it's the Dallas Renegades is what they're calling that team. But yeah, the logo is is like the the Derek type, and uh, I thought their video looked cool. But yeah, and of course with the offense, you know, the offense is going to score some points with the coach they have too. So, Hey, we're looking forward to some XFL football once the NFL season is over. Yeah. I just, I'm trying to figure out how this thing's going to work. You know, how they're going to get people interested. The the only leagues that have caused a little bit of noise and a little bit of splash, like the USFL and maybe even a little bit for the AFL in the seventies and the, the original uh, AFL was it the AFL in the seventies? Is that right? Am I, am I am I getting that one right? Uh, the WFL, World Football League. Yeah, World Football. That's yeah. right. WFL in the seventies, and the the ones that have worked have got the high end talent, and that's that's the key. And I, I, I don't think uh, the XFL has a plan yet to get that high end talent because that's where that's the game changer. If you you get those guys that that uh, everybody's talking about from college football or something like that, maybe you can do some sort of rule where you can get college players that are not coming out as uh maybe juniors or seniors that that's the way around it you know if you can figure out a way to make it a more a little bit almost like a minor league plus because you can get those guys that are are high-end high school guys that would be interested in jumping over there that that's the one way that i think uh you could really make a splash that that that's where the room is for the wiggle room i think well, if anything, what it does is it just gives more players, a few more anyway, some opportunities to maybe crack the NFL at some point by getting exposure in a league like the XFL. But as far as long-term success, I mean, no league has ever really had that. A lot of it has been owners bickering among each other or greed or just total mismanagement. You know, they, Vince McMahon's already tried the XFL once and it it didn't last very long, so he's going to try it again. I don't know that the league – I'm certainly not saying it's going to be around for 10 or 20 years, maybe not even five. But, again, it's it's another opportunity for some players that may or may not have made the NFL to at least get a shot, if anything else. Last thing I've got is, if you missed it last week, I talked to Rice Owls insider Matthew Bartlett. He brought up 
freshman defensive lineman DeBraylon Carroll out of Duncanville, Texas. And Matthew said on the podcast that other programs around Texas will regret not offering him a scholarship, Stephen. Now, the reason nobody was interested is because he's only five foot ten inches tall. But Matthew told me after we finished recording the podcast, and he sort of forgot to to bring this up that he, he's had people that you know he's talked with or who's told him that he's basically a shorter Ed Oliver. And mm. I know a lot of listeners looked at the Rice House podcast and your phone notifications and said to yourself, "Ah, who cares about Rice football?" I'm not saying they'll have a winning record this year, but it sounds like the Braylon Carroll could turn out to be a player who could get national publicity. And Steven, if you're Rice, you need to have a player that everybody passed up on for a reason like this if you want to be relevant. Well, that's certainly true. And the Rice Owls need to win. I mean, that that's the first thing. But, you know, there, there are occasions where a player, even on a team that is not doing so well on the field – can get that kind of publicity, but yeah, he, he would have, he's, he'd have some big shoes to fill if he's going to take over the name of uh, Ed Oliver. So it's, it's Braylon. What'd you say his last name was? The Braylon Carroll is the name to remember. Braylon Carroll. Okay. Well, well, we'll have to remember that. Yeah. I was just, I mean, I was talking to him afterwards and I said, yeah, it's, it's so tough because you know, there, the days where the, they were the talk of Houston or they could get some attention was the Southwest Conference days. And now there's no Southwest Conference, and you're in this conference with a bunch of teams that nobody knows about, nobody cares about, and you're Rice, and it's hard enough as it is with the type of academics and, you know, just everything is works against Rice at this point. So the way to get your name out there is to have a player that people are talking about on a national basis would be the best deal. And, and how much did that help Ed Oliver and the, the Houston Cougars over the last few years. So just, just, I just thought that was interesting that, you know, some of the stuff that he's been hearing about the Braylon Carroll, but you know, if you enjoy the show and you'd like to support us, uh, as we finish things off, you can go to the website, HoustonSportsTalk.net, make a small donation. There's a donate button on the top of the right. It's kind of top right of the homepage. It's pretty easy to find there. And, or, you know, if you're on your, you know, your cell phone, your smartphone, it's toward the bottom of the page. So go check it out there. If you're Andrew Luck and you've got a flip phone, I would definitely go to the to your laptop because it's it's not going to be on your flip phone. But yeah, I just <laughs> uh that's that's the way you could uh, support us a little bit if you would. But uh that's about all, Steven. Last last comments, anything else? Ghost Rose, what else? Ghost Rose, go Cougs. Cougs are playing this coming weekend against Oklahoma. That's going to be a big game. That means college football is definitely here. So go Cougs. And they're playing a quarterback that everybody in Houston should remember and know and was over at Alabama. But before that, he was at Channel View, Jalen Hurt. Yep. Looking forward to that one. That's going to be fun to watch, too. So, yeah, don't forget the Cougs this weekend for sure. We might we might have a little talk, discussion on that uh, next week. But uh, it, until the... Uh, Until the next time we talk to you, have a great one. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.